them, apparently, that had Israel into captivity. And it says it struck the chief of their strength, or all the firstborn, in the land of Ham, or the tabernacles of Ham. So it's where Ham dwelt, if you will. Their tabernacles, their houses, their living quarters, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. So very clearly here he talks about Mitzrayim and Ham being the place where Israel was held captive. Chapter 105, verse 23. Israel also came into Mitzrayim, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal subtly with his servants. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They showed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. So very clearly here... uh, The Egyptians were Hamitic at the time Israel was there. Now, when you look at the uh, uh, political country of Egypt there today, uh, where it is in North Africa, there have been a lot of peoples that have washed back and forth through there. And that is not, I do not believe, where Israel was held captive. Uh, It was more than likely right over here, uh, and the Hamitic people were here at that time. Let's see another one, chapter 106, verse 22. Uh, Wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. So is there a sea here somewhere? Uh, We shall see. Now let's go to Genesis 11. I want to just skip through these chapters of Genesis here and there and pick up some points that are not not to go through all of Genesis. We went through a lot of this when we were studying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but from a different standpoint here. Let's see, where am I? Genesis 11:27. Uh, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativ- nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abraham and Nahor took them wives, and it gives the wives' names and so on. Uh, verse 31, And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Hiram his son's son, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, Uh, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came to to Haran and dwelt there. So they were, they left, if they went out of the ark on Ararat, they apparently went down into the land of Haran, which I think probably is Iran, Iraq today, because the name Iran is still on that area probably was Haran. And they had in mind to go to Canaan. Uh, apparently, Terah it thought, well, let's do that. But they came and dwelt in Haran. Now, is that different than Canaan? I think so, because we'll find later that Abraham was told to leave father and mother and go to a land that God would show. And Terah had settled in Haran at that point. So if that's where they were, then Abraham left there to go somewhere else. And that's in the next verse. Now the Eternal had said to Abram, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house. So he was to leave Terah and his father's house to a land that I will show you. So this is his calling to leave father, mother, uh, land, homes, everything, just like Luke tells us that we might have to do as well, and which you have done. 
But in his case, he was going to make of him a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now, hasn't God told us the exact same thing when he told us to leave our fathers, our mothers, our families, our lands, our homes, and come here, and then he would bring more people, and then he would make us a blessing to the world? It's really the same thing happening here that happened back there. That was on a physical level at the time. Uh, ours is on a spiritual level, but it's also on a physical level, isn't it? We didn't just stay in our homes and obey God. We had on a physical level to leave, to get away from there and come out into the wilderness and the mountains and the desert. And I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you. And God has told us he'll do the exact same thing with us. If people bless us and what we're doing and the work of God, uh, then it will go well with them. But if they do not, and the whole world will not, then they will be cursed. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Well, what he is going to establish with his end-time church is a microcosm of the millennium and the kingdom of God to come. And Emmanuel will even come and dwell with us, he says there in Zechariah 2 or three, two I think it is, yeah, it's two. So he'll be establishing something there that's going to carry over with us in the form of the Bride of Christ to ultimately set up a kingdom that will be a blessing to the whole earth. So the promises to Abram are carried over to us. So he departed and he took his Sarah and his and Lot, his brother's son, and their substance, the souls they had gotten in Haran, verse 5, they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And when he arrived there, verse 7, the Eternal appeared to Abram and said, Unto your seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar to the Eternal who appeared to him. So, what happened here? I think the the thing probably is, did we, we kind of got past the story of Nimrod. I, isn't, I think it picks it up somewhere back here a little bit. Maybe it, uh, maybe it doesn't. But when they came out of the ark, and they had about three, four generations, uh, Nimrod was born and began to organize people into cities and to start the Babylonian Empire. Now, I think it will be important to the story a little later on to consider some of the things that we were watching last night in the movie. Uh, Nimrod was worshipped by his mother, Semiramis. So Semiramis and Nimrod became a mother and child. Now, whether Eve and Cain were the first mother and child, I don't know that for sure. We were doing some speculating the other evening, and that may have been the case. Uh, if it didn't, then, or if it wasn't, then Semiramis and Nimrod became the first mother and child. And they came to be known, down through history, uh, through all peoples. And I think that all began right here when Nimrod set this up and his mother, because when Nimrod was killed, uh, she claimed that a full green full-grown evergreen tree sprang up overnight from a dead stump. And there you have the beginning of the Christmas story. Remember in the movie last night, all the little red caps they were wearing, kind of like Santa Claus hats uh, of today, and they were pretty widespread. So this all started back there. I think we've probably all read the two Babylons at one time or another information along those lines to show how the Greeks, the Romans, everybody... Every culture picked up on this Semiramis and Nimrod story. And it has been brought forward. They put different names on it in Greece and Rome, wherever it may have been. But it was the same story with a different name, put their own names on it. So it came, became to be Mercury or Horus or, you know, different names that they put on it. Uh, but the same thing. And then, of course, they syncretized it with Christianity by putting Mary and 
in baby Jesus in uh, as well. And then the Christmas story morphed from uh, Nimrod and Semiramis into Mary and Jesus. And of course, that was known way back. God didn't like it. Remember Jeremiah uh, talking about the Christmas tree there in chapter 10 and saying, no, no, don't do that. And then he even talked about Easter in Ezekiel. Don't do that either. Uh, so these stories were well known among the Israelites, and they had picked them up. But all people had picked them up there, probably in the plain of Shinar, where Nimrod began to build Babel. And when they had their languages confused, and they left, they took all of those religious and idolatrous things with them wherever they went whether they were Japhetic or Hamitic or Semitic or whatever they were, uh, that was the culture that had become ingrained in them in those three or four generations after the flood, and therefore it reappeared with different languages and different names, <clears throat> but the same story. And that's how the whole thing got started. Now we're going to find, as we go through here, that there is a problem when those who were seeking to follow God got together with anybody else, they tended to go back to those practices and the, the idolatry that went with them. And that was the biggest problem uh, that there was with the peoples of the earth. Now last night we saw how it had been brought forward through the Greeks, the Romans, uh, the Egyptians, and Baal and everything on our capital city. And so on. And I think as we study into this further, uh, I don't want to let uh, all the horses out of the barn right now, but I think you'll see this recurring and that it is something that we need to be very aware of here in the end time. And the prophecies are pointing towards some of the things that you saw last night. Maybe that was a little premature in terms of where we are in the story, but this is where it began, so I don't think in that sense it is premature. Uh, we, we see where these things started and where they have now wound up. So that will become important to the story when we get from the beginning of the story down to the end. So it's probably good we did see it and, uh, and know where these things are headed. I won't go into all that. Uh, they hit some of it last night, and you can go back through the two Babylons and see how it went from... Uh, people to people to people down through the last 4,000 years. But uh, when they built that tower and uh, God said they would not be restrained from whatever they wanted, the languages were confused uh, and they left. Now consider this. When Abram left his father Terah and all his family behind other than Lot and whoever went with him uh, and went to a land God would show. The Canaanite had already left. You see, Terah stayed in Mesopotamia and in Haran and that went on for some period of time and then God told Abraham, get out of here. Well, probably right when Babel occurred, uh, the Canaanites left. And they went to where? If the continents were divided at the time of the flood, or even if they were divided at the time uh, of in Peleg where at Babel the languages were confused and the people departed, uh, there was a division of people and there is also at some point obviously a division of the land. So it doesn't really matter to the story exactly when the division of land occurred. We know that the division of people occurred at Babel when God confused it. Uh, and that's when the people left. So if, uh, if the continents were not yet separated, though I think they were by then, uh, the people of Canaan left to go where? Think about this a minute. If the continents were all divided up and the original Eden was over here, and these people had had uh, Shem, they had uh, Noah, who had lived and told the story. They knew where 
uh, Eden had been. They knew where God had started things. So, would it have entered their mind when God confused the languages and they, we've got to get out of here. Everybody's fighting and arguing and, and nobody can understand each other. There's total confusion. Let's leave. Where do you think they might have thought of going? Back to the place of beginning, possibly. So wherever Eden was, wherever uh, that area was, where life had started, it wasn't in Haran or the Middle East, most likely, as we understand now, but it was somewhere to the west. So being confused and wanting to go back to their roots, if you will, uh, they, they may have thought, well, why don't we go back and find Eden? Now, the topography probably had changed a lot. But they knew where in the landmass that had been. Even though the flood had taken away uh, some things and the cherubims were there, no longer there to guard it because it had been destroyed in the flood, uh, the area would have been appealing to them to go back where man had started and where they had started. So it says that when uh, Abram got there, the Canaanites were already there. So they had left earlier than Abraham. He had stayed a while there with Terah and settled when they left uh, Haran, or had left the plain of Shinar, they had gone to Haran. Then Abraham, at God's direction, left there to go back to a land that God would show him. So God apparently uh, told him what direction to go and, and maybe gave him some directions. But remember, it also says in Hebrews that Abraham went looking for a city as well, the city of God. So, in one case, told to look for land. In another case, he was told to look for a city. So he went looking. Well, we've already seen uh, very clearly that uh, right after the flood and on up through Israel's history from there on, it was quite possible they could have had ships to cross the river or the ocean. Uh, that would have been no problem at all. And in fact, I suspect that they started building ships. If the earth had been divided in the continents right after the flood, surely a man would have been interested to go see what had happened. You know, that which was here is gone. Where did it go? Uh, I would have been curious, wouldn't you? Let's go find it. You know, it's, it's interesting, too, in considering the migrations of mankind, how different people look at things. Now, when this country was settled, for instance, in 1607 and the years thereafter, and we began to multiply somewhat and started a westward movement, some went 100, 200, 300 miles west. They got out where there, wasn't, where there weren't many people. That was good enough for them. Hey, there's not anybody around here. This is a nice spot. There's a spring over there. Let's just stay here. And then others said, well, there's another hill. I've got to see the other side. And then they went over that hill. Oh, there's another hill. I've got to see over that one. You know, there's some people who think more that way. And they just kept on going. There's you and me. Uh, we wouldn't have stayed 200 miles uh, west. I wouldn't have anyway. You're all different personalities. But I would have, I know me, I would have just kept going uh, to see what I could see. You know, the bear went over the mountain and he saw the other side of the mountain. Might have been all I'd have found, but uh, people have always migrated that way. Some will go a little ways, hey, that's good enough, let's stop here. And others want to see the rest. Uh, so some went clear to the west coast, and first thing you know, there's a few up in Alaska looking around. They've got to find out what's there. And I'm sure that was the case when man began to multiply after the flood. Uh, Nimrod gathered them all together, perhaps for defensive purposes from animals and so on. Uh, that said, but he wasn't a strong hunter necessarily as a, a hunter of animals, but a strong hunter against God. Uh, he hunted men to take them away from God. So, and Shem, it said, was... Uh, recognize the true God, and Canaan, or uh, not Canaan, but I mean uh, Nimrod did not. Uh, and Nimrod was through the line of Cush. That 
that son of Ham, not Canaan and not Mithraim, but through Cush. So he went a different way. But in any case, uh, it doesn't stretch my imagination that when people are confused and frustrated and angry and they want to leave, then they want to, some will go further than others. And it appears Canaan, out of who all was there, decided, hey, let's just keep going. Now, whether they went out through the Mediterranean or the Black Sea from, say, Haran or Iran and Iraq, they could have gone out by ship through the Black Sea, through the Dardanelles there east of Turkey, right on out the Mediterranean and straight across the river, the Atlantic, to this country, and then migrated cross-country. Or uh, they could have gone south, down through Africa, across uh, to South America, and then up until they got to that area that they knew to be uh, the original Garden of Eden that had been established. And we find uh, in South America a great amount of black presence. The, uh, you may have heard of Olmec. I'll hold some of these up. Maybe I can leave them here on the table afterward. But uh, they found lots and lots of these big stones. They're six, eight, ten feet tall uh, that have been carved. And they're clearly Hamitic in feature. Uh, there's, n there's not any question. There's a few of them that have uh, Asiatic features, but most of them have Hamitic. Uh, there's, there's a whole pile of them here Ruth copied for me. You might want to take a look. And you, you can see Japheth in some, but primarily you'll find Ham. There's one that's a little bigger. You might can see a little better. Uh, and then when the Spaniards came... They wanted to claim South America for uh, Spain. And what they did was they tried to remove any uh, evidence that anybody else had been there. By that time, the Hamitic people were gone. They weren't there anymore. But you've got to be somewhere quite a while before you carve something that big. You know, you have to settle there. So they had cities, and those have, some of them been found, and then, and then these... But the Spaniards buried them, dug big holes and rolled them in to hide them so that they could say this land is from, of Spain and we're the first ones here. Of course, the Indians didn't count. Uh, but of people who were by that time in Africa still had, had a presence in South America. But they weren't there anymore. They're gone. Now that tells you that there were great migrations that went one way, then they came another way, because there was obviously a big presence there, and then when they, the Spaniards came, they found evidence that they'd been there, but they were gone. Now, there was a time when Israel uh, was taken captive by the Egyptians, but then they were taken captive, and then they went into the land of Canaan, into the Promised Land, and later, Nebuchadnezzar captivated them and the Assyrian and took them, as God says in Deuteronomy 28, by ship, likely back across the ocean uh, where they were slaves again uh, in the area of the New Babylon, in the area of Shinar in the Middle East, and so on. And they came in and destroyed as much evidence that Israel had been here as they possibly could. Uh, Ross thinks that the Greeks were right up here at Jerusalem at the Battle of Troy. And that they, uh, it says the records show that the Greeks removed every stone they could find to show an Israelite presence there. You know how God had said, how, or Christ had said, how the temple would not have one stone left upon another? And apparently that is exactly what happened. They wanted to remove the remembrance of Israel completely. Well, that was in God's plan because, as we know now, he said uh, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah in that area would remain desolate for many generations. Jeremiah 9.31, Isaiah 60 and 61 and some of those scriptures. And that has never happened over there. We've been over this before. 
But I think what was occurring here is that Canaan had moved on across the ocean and up into North America and found the original Garden of Eden area. And that's where uh, God wanted Abram to go, into the land of Canaan. So it says after, let's see. It gives here in chapter 10 a genealogy in verse 15 of Canaan. It says, Canaan beget Sidon his firstborn and Heth, and the Jebusite and the Amorite and the Gergesite and the Hivite and the Archite and the Sinite, the Arvadite and the Zimmerite and the Hamathite, and afterward were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. So you had all of these small nations that were coming out of Canaan, and afterward they were spread abroad. Now, abroad to us means across the ocean. And I, I think that that is indeed the word that fits here. So they went somewhere. And where they went was where Abraham eventually would go. And then it gives some borders. I don't know what that means right now, but uh, we probably will find out. Now, let's see. I was in chapter 11 and down. Uh, okay, he's, he's leaving in chapter 12 where we were. And in verse 5, he gathered up his substance and all that he had and the people that went with him. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Uh, verse 6, end of verse 6, And the Canaanite was then in the land. So this is where Abram went, was the land of Canaan. And he makes a point, the Canaanite was then in the land. Now, if you look at movies or read archaeology, they're going to tell you that the Canaanites were white or light brown. Uh, and why? Because archaeology to this day has not found any black presence in uh, the area of Palestine or Israel in the Middle East today. They've gone, you know, they've dug all over the place. And there is no evidence of Ham there, no evidence of Canaan there. Now, God tells us very clearly that the Canaanite is black. No doubt. Sons of Ham. So, the Canaanites that were there when Abram was there, according to God's word, were black people. And it's not put that way in the movies and, very, and even in the archaeological writings because... They cannot understand how that could be because they can find no evidence of such. Now, I mean, all you've got to do is go to South America and there's evidence of ham anywhere you want to look, right? They're all over the place. But they can't find it in the Middle East. So obviously, some of the sons of ham had come across to South America. And... <clears throat> I think, into North America, where the promised land is. All right, let's see, what have I got here next? Uh, he said, I'll give this land to you. We already read that. Now, let's see. What am I looking at here? Chapter 12, verse 14. Uh, it came to pass that when Abram was gone into uh, Mitzrayim, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair, and there you had the place where he lied about his wife. Uh, so those peoples were there when he went into Egypt. 
Um, chapter 13, verse 7. There was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Interesting how many times he's going to say who dwelled in the land. Abraham, or Abram and, and uh, Lot were there, but he keeps mentioning that the Canaanite and the Perizzite, which was one of the sons of Canaan, were there. Uh, let's see, verse 10, And Lot lifted up, they were going to separate because they were fighting. You know the story. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Eternal destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Eternal, like the land of Mitzrayim, as you come to Zoar. So, there was some verdant land around, and this was soon after the flood. Uh, probably everything was better watered. And I would assume, too, uh, that this land, where we are today, was also lower in elevation at that time than it is now. Because you do have the record of the Phoenician vessels coming up as far into California, at least as the Salton Sea, and the ocean boundaries stop it now at the head of the of the uh, Gulf of California where the Colorado River goes in. But at that time it was evidently uh, lower, so they could sail on in, and I think probably on into the Great Basin of Nevada, so that they could sail clear around and up to where Jerusalem was, or is. Uh, now, around Jerusalem at that time there were palm trees, right? Cedar City is too cold. And this area up here in southern Utah is too cold for palm trees. So you might say, well, this couldn't be the place. Uh, well, they got palm trees down in St. George. They got palm trees in California and palm trees in Las Vegas. And obviously they were sailing further up, so the land must have been lower so that they could sail in. And therefore, at that time, uh, very likely... The area where we think Jerusalem is now was lower. And we know the land tends, has tended to go on up. And many mountains, they say, are still going up. The, the thrust and the pressure from beneath is still working on them. And they go up an inch or two or three or whatever. And then like some of you saw today, uh, it can be a lot faster than that in the movies that you saw today. It, it doesn't have to take hundreds of millions of years. It can happen very rapidly. Uh, anyway, verse 12, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Uh, verse 14, And the Eternal said to Abram, after Lot, that Lot was separated. So Abram was still in Canaan, Lot was gone uh, to the plain. I wonder if it was the Great Plains. I wonder if he crossed over and went east. Uh, he did go toward Sodom at least in that direction. How far he went, I don't know. But he said to Abram, after the lot was separated from him, Lift up now your eyes and look from the place where you are. And that was still in the land of Canaan, as we saw in verse 12. And look uh, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, to you will I give it, and to your seed forever. So that was designated at that time. It was to be taken away from the Canaanites and be given to Abram and to Israel and his seed forever. And I will make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall your seed also be numbered. And then he told him, go walk all the length and the breadth. Look it over. This is yours. I'm going to give it to you. And he dwelt in the plain of Mamre and Hebron and built an altar to the eternal and so on. So wherever that was, it was given to Israel forever. And we've gone over that before, that uh, Israel today better be where that was. Now they were taken out of the land, God said, temporarily because of sin and taken into captivity across the ocean, according to Deuteronomy 28, but it was still theirs, and later they came back to it. And we were gone for many generations until we came back to the eastern shores and then began the migration west. So this whole continent then was given to Israel. 
uh, or at least down to the Rio Grande. Uh, there's where the Mexicans hold sway today. It's not in the hands of Israel, but at least that far south, God made the Promised Land, and I think it includes Canada because those are Israelites there. Whether they're uh, Manassites or Benjamites, I'm not sure, but uh, they're Israelites. And this is where we are. And again, maybe to make the point, uh, there are no Israelites in the Middle East today. Almost none. And historically, have not been. That's why the Palestinians and the Arabs have a clear-cut case. They were there. The Israelites were not there until 1948. Uh, and the... Deception had occurred going back to Constantine, where Constantine's mother went to the Middle East. They established a new Jerusalem, and she named everything after what had been over here. So I think that is the way this thing comes down. Now, obviously, we're going to keep studying. We don't know everything yet, but this seems to be the, the general overall picture of what occurred. Uh, so this was the land of the Canaanites. I've already covered that there is no black presence in the Middle East. Now let's go to 15, pick up verse 12. Uh, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. So he's telling them, he's telling Abram here that eventually your people are going to go into captivity. Now I've given you this land, but you're going to go in for four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. So God is going to take them into Mitzrayim at some point. And you know, Jacob went down with 70 souls later on. Uh, and God said, I will judge them. Well, we know the story. When all those plagues began to come on Egypt, and then the firstborn of man and cattle were killed, there is a statement made, I, I think I have it written down here somewhere in a verse, that says, don't you realize that Mitzrayim has been destroyed? So what God did was destroy the entire uh, empire of Mitzrayim. Now that probably, as we understand now, was over here somewhere. Now whether it was from the Grand Canyon south or just where it was, we're not sure yet. Uh, but we find presence of black people very prominently in South America and Central America. It may be that the land of Mitzrayim was down somewhere from Mexico on down. I don't know that, but uh, that's a very strong possibility with evidence like this. Uh, and that gives you plenty of room to wander for 40 years, doesn't it, if you're headed back this direction. Now, what part of the sea might they have crossed? Uh, Ruth thinks that they might have been out and trapped on the end of the Yucatan Peninsula where Cancun is. It, there's a hook there uh, back to the northwest and that it may have opened there and that was their escape route back to the mainland on Mexico and then they went north from there. I don't know that. Her reading and research has indicated that that is a possibility so we'll just put a question mark on that and keep studying. But, it, but it's an interesting thought. Um... But he tells him ahead of time, he had a, it was such a dark dream that he had a horror of blackness because it was a, uh, a bad thing that was going to happen down the line to his people. Well, God at least warned him ahead of time, you know, I'm going to bless your people, but there's going to be a time in there when there's going to be problems. Just like he tells us, I'm going to bless you, but there's going to be a time when there's going to be some problems. So, you know, God's fair that way. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And that, that was what set me off on uh, the fact that the Egyptian empire was uh, basically destroyed. Now from there, 
Is it possible that some of them remained, but maybe they, after that destruction and the destruction of the land, the destruction of everything there, that they may have left the majority of them and gone back across the sea and settled in Africa? Because, obviously, they disappeared at some point, leaving a lot of culture behind. I don't know. That's a possibility, because uh, most of the people of Ham today are in Africa. And uh, quite a presence, really, in the United States, if you stop to think about it. We're over 300 million people now, and we're about 11% uh, Hamitic in our country. So... Uh, Canaan, Joshua, after the wandering went in, uh, the Canaanites were there then, and after the captivity in Egypt, they were still there. And they went in and started taking it, and God was going to drive them out ahead of him, but uh, well, that's getting ahead of the story a little bit. But that prophecy there about Canaan serving Shem has been fulfilled more than once. Now, where was I? Fifteen, I was. Um, so God did put a big judgment on Mitzrayim, that son of Ham, at the time that Israel came out and crossed the Red Sea. Huge percentage of the population was killed at that time, and the countryside completely destroyed. There wasn't a blade of grass left. Uh, so I will judge them, and afterward shall Israel come out with great substance, and you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come here again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Uh, the Amorites now were a tribe of, or a son of Canaan. Now you may remember sometime back, several years ago maybe, and, and even more recently, I was speculating that the Mormons might be Amorites because of the way the name is, the Morites or the men of more or the more men. And uh, I think I was maybe, well, I don't want to give myself too much credit, about 30, 40% right instead of half right. I think that we are in the land of the Amorites, okay. This is the Amorites' land. They were a branch of Canaan. And they were in the promised land. Uh, but... Though we are there now, where the Amorites and the Canaanites were, I don't think the Mormons are Amorites, because being a son of Canaan, obviously the Amorites were black. So that settles that. If I'd have just gone back to the table of nations, instead of trying to play with the word, I'd have been better off. But, uh, you know, we're trying to figure things out, and this is a study thing. So it's it's not written... In that sense, in stone, it's written, well, yeah, this is written in stone, so whatever this says is what we go by. So there's one cleared up, you know. Who's the Amorite? The sons of Canaan, and they were here. But many of them were killed. But he says the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Uh, Canaan did not repent. Uh, Mitzrayim did not repent. They just moved on or moved out. And Israel went into the promised land, and God said, that judgment isn't finished. Uh, let's go on down. It came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark, and behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Eternal made a covenant with, Abraham, with Abram, saying, To your seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, what does that mean? Uh, the, the River Nile, called the River of Egypt over there, uh, and the Euphrates up uh, to the north and east toward Iraq, uh, we know, and we've always referred to those as the rivers that were being talked about. But is that the case? He said, I'll give you this land, and we've got to be in it today, otherwise these scriptures don't mean anything. So is the great river, the river Euphrates, was that possibly the Atlantic Sea? 
I mean the Atlantic Ocean. And if uh, Mitzrayim were in South America, what is the great river there? The Amazon is the biggest river on earth. And that is a great river. And in one place it talks about the rivers of Egypt, or the rivers of, of Mitzrayim. Well, they've only got one over there. It's got some tributaries coming down, the White Nile and so on. But it's essentially one river. But in South America, you have lots of rivers. And the Amazon is the biggest. So was the Euphrates maybe the Atlantic as a possibility? And was the Amazon the great river of Egypt? Question mark. I think that that is a distinct possibility. I'm not going to say it was, but keep it in mind because it might turn out that way. Again, we know they were here. And we know that this is the promised land because this is the land we're in. And that's what he said he would give to Abraham and his seed forever. So here we are. Um, that just may very well be. So I've given you the river of Mitzrayim, which could be the Amazon. You notice last night they talked about the land of Atlantis and how it was out in the middle of the Atlantic and the uh, Knights Templar were talking about the land of Atlantis. Uh, Ross believes that it was the land across the Atlantic and that this is the land of Atlantis over here. And that is, he's not the only one that theorizes that. It's obvious in the movie last night that they think that it, they were coming over here looking. And I thought it was quite interesting. I did not know that, that uh, Columbus's ships had the Knights Templar cross on them. I found that quite fascinating. I thought I'd be bored for two and a half hours of that, because I'd seen a lot of this stuff and knew a lot of it, but I found it to be quite captivating anyway. A little bit toward the... Three-quarters of the way through, it got a little dull there, I thought. But for the most part, it's quite interesting. And even that part was interesting. But anyway, he named some peoples that would be there. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Rephilims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Those are the names of Canaan that we read back in Genesis 10. Um mentions the Hittites. Remember Uriah the Hittite? It's in the land of Canaan. Uriah the Hittite is always pictured in the movies as a white or a light brown guy, uh, but it's very clear uh, that the Hittites were the sons of Canaan. So Uriah the Hittite was a black man. Uh, I never thought of that. I don't know what Bathsheba was. It was his wife. Uh, did a Hittite marry uh, a Semitic woman? Or was Bathsheba also black? Never thought of that either. Uh, that is a possibility. I don't know who he married. It doesn't say anything about the race of Bathsheba. Sheba is on the end of it, and we know that one line of Sheba was black. But then on the other hand, in Genesis 10, there's another, or maybe it's a little later on, there was uh, another Sheba that was, uh, was Semitic. So it's, it's hard to know which was which. But the queen of Sheba came from Ethiopia, which was black, and brought the gifts to Abraham across the sea. Uh, so Ethiopia may very well have been where Cush went. Ruth thinks that Cush is Ethiopia. That branch of Ham was Ethiopia, and that the whole continent of Africa at that time probably was Cushite. Uh, Mitzrayim went to South America, Canaan went on up to North America to here, and that Cush probably stayed in uh, Africa. Uh, those, that's some speculation based on a, a lot of reading. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. But uh, she was named Bathsheba which could be either white or black. Don't know. Uh, was Solomon's mother black? Uh, that's a possibility. That would have been in the line of Christ. When they talk about a black Messiah, well, okay, there's some Hamitic in the line because, uh, I don't want to give it all away too quick, but here I am. 
when they went into the land, it was the land of Canaan, and Jericho was the first one there, and that's where Rahab was. And she's in the line of Christ, and she was a black woman. Uh, that was a Canaanite city. When I never thought of, of her as black. I mentioned that, I think, the other night. I was getting a little ahead of the story, did I? Uh, I thought I did. Maybe it was at the table when we were talking after potluck. I, I mean, that's probably when I mentioned it. Um, yeah, because I remember saying something about I'd heard a sermon at or a sermon where someone tried to explain away that she was Canaanite to make her white because they didn't want a black in the line of Christ. That's kind of a racist approach to things. No, let's just let what falls fall. Uh, that's a distinct possibility. And in fact, uh, I think that Rahab was black. Now let's go on down. Where am I? Uh, chapter 16. Sarai, Abraham's wife, had no children, which we know. In verse 3, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Mitzriamite, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to husband Abram to be his wife. And he went into Hagar. Now, I don't know what color you thought Hagar was, but she was a Mitzriamite. She was black. Abraham had married here a black woman. And uh, he had dwelt in the land of Canaan at that point ten years. So there was some mixing of Mitzriam, evidently, in Canaan in the land of promise, unless uh, Mitzriam or the Egyptian is a general term that came to be used for the children of Ham. I think that is a possibility. Uh, I don't know that. But it says she was Egyptian, and Abraham, Abram obviously was living in the land of Canaan. And she conceived, and let's go on down. You remember the story where Sarah ran, Sarai ran Hagar off, verse 10 of chapter 16. And the angel of the eternal said to her, I will multiply your seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. So he promised Hagar, as he had promised Abraham, that she would have lots and lots of offspring. The angel of the eternal said to her, Behold, you are with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the eternal has heard your affliction. And Ishmael means the eternal has heard. Now here is a bit of a description of Ishmael. We'll get a little bit more in the next chapter. But I think it's important to understand who Ishmael is, because they would become uh, like the sand of the sea. Lots of Ishmaelites. He will be a wild man. So wherever Ishmael is today, and we have to use these identifying factors, just like we go to Genesis 49 and identify Israel by the things God said they would have or be in the latter days. So, and the same is true of Esau or Edom, and what would happen to them in the latter days, and how they'd be around Jacob, and finally defeat Jacob, or be in on the defeat. Uh, so when we look for Ishmael, we got to go back here, and see the clues, not just of him as an individual, but the angel is talking about Hagar's seed. So Ishmael, as a people, would be wild men. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. So Ishmael would always be the kind of people that would be in the middle of arguments and squabbles and wars and so on throughout history. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So Ishmael would remain in a tight circle. Now we've already seen the possibilities with Ham that some were maybe in Africa, some in South America, some came as far as North America. So they didn't all stay together. They scattered out. And it even says back there, doesn't it, they were scattered abroad, didn't all stay together tight-knit, but were scattered abroad different branches of the family, I take it. But with Ishmael, he says, they'll dwell together, all of his brethren together. So we need to look for somebody that is contentious 
that nobody likes, and they don't like nobody. Uh, <laughs> and we need to find somebody that there's a lot of, and we need to find somebody that has stayed fairly close together as a tight-knit group. Uh, let's go on down to the next chapter. Uh, down about verse... Well, here it's, it's talking to Sarah. Verse 18. This is where God had told Abraham at this point and Sarah that they would have a child and they all had a big laugh over that at their age. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you, in verse 18. In other words, he's saying, I already got a son named Ishmael. Uh, you know, he's here. I see him. Oh, that he could live before you and be what you're saying. Uh, and God said, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son indeed, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So God makes it clear that the line is to go through Isaac that God is going to work through. And as for Ishmael, since, that, since Abraham brought that up, I have heard you. I hear what you're saying, Abraham, about Ishmael. I would that he would be important. Behold, I have blessed him. So we've already seen he'd be wild and contentious. He would be many. And now it says, I will bless him. So... Uh, he would be in an area that would be fruitful. That's the next word. I will make him fruitful. So I would say economically in an area that they would be blessed and become fruitful. Now you look about Joseph becoming a fruitful vine in Genesis 49. It's talking about great prosperity. So that's another clue to look for when you're looking for Ishmael is great prosperity. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation, but the covenant will be with Isaac. Now, I made a comment that we had given the thought that maybe Ishmael had come across and was not the Arabs, but possibly into South America, because there's about 13 countries, including some postage-sized stamp ones in South America, about 12 if you put them together. Uh, and they're brown, which Ishmael is. See, white and black make brown, so when Abraham consorted with Hagar, they had uh, probably, well, had been brown children. Then later on it says Hagar caused Ishmael to marry, I think it was another Canaanite. My eye doesn't catch it. Anyway, it was... It was either Canaanite or, or, or Egyptian, Mitzrayimite, anyway. So uh, Ishmael's first child would have been three-quarter black and one-quarter white. And where it went from there, we don't know. But uh, at any rate, when you apply these things, which I looked at later after making that comment, uh, if you look around the Middle East in that area, uh, there are about a dozen Arabic nations. And some of those over in Iran may even be Persian. They may not be Ishmaelites. I don't know. There's a lot of the mix of Japheth in there in Asia. And there's some Semitic because Shem and some of Shem stayed in the, over there, didn't they? Abraham left them all behind and came over here. So Shem, for the most part, was still in the area of Mesopotamia, uh, Iraq, Iran, and, and that general area, uh, and may have mixed with, with Japheth quite a bit. So the Persians and some of those peoples and the Assyrians may have been part Semitic and part Japhetic. And in fact, uh, DNA tests, as I've read at least, of the Germans show that there's some Japhetic blood in their DNA. So the Assyrian is not quite as pure a race as, as Hitler tried to make them. How did Hitler come up with that? He was a dark-haired uh, person, and yet he was trying to say that the master race is, is uh, blue-eyed and, and blonde. He should have shot himself. <laughs> there, there are some weird things that happened, you know. 
kind of hard to figure it all out. Where was I headed? Oh, uh, the Arabs. There's, there's roughly 12 nations. There may be some little divisions that are smaller when you look at Qatar and, and a few of those things. But uh, it's very close to that number, depending on who might be included. And it might be that there was one of the princes or chiefs could be scattered over two small nations as a possibility if we don't come up with exactly 12. But 12 divisions, and they're all right there close together, aren't there? Aren't they? And there are quite a lot of them, and they're brown, light-skinned, which would be the the Hamitic and the Semitic mix. There might be some Japheth thrown in there at some point, too. It doesn't say all, all the way through, but we know that's how Ishmael started out. They are also rich, not necessarily because of agriculture, because of black gold. And the oil has made them blessed and fruitful and very rich. I, I would, have, Other than this country right here, uh, I would say the Arabs are the richest people on earth. Just off the top of my head without examining all the economic uh, data. And in terms of just sheer money, well, they probably don't have as much as we do altogether, but they're very, very wealthy. You know, all these wealthy sheiks going everywhere, buying everything. And they are a contentious people. Uh, There's a lot of fighting going on among themselves and among everybody around them. Now, another reason I think that Ishmael probably is over there. I said I'd try to cut this to an hour, didn't I? Uh, well, we'll stop with this thought. Uh, is that there is a huge Muslim movement now going on around the earth, and the Muslims are the biggest contenders with um, Israel today. They're the terrorists that we've labeled. So, there's what? Two and a half billion Muslims now, someone, I think that, that comes to my mind. There's lots and lots of them. They were all over the Middle East, and then uh, the, the Muslim religion spread to Pakistan, parts of India even, uh, Iran, Iraq. Uh, so they're making incursions into uh, the bigger populations of, of Asia. Uh, there are lots of Muslims in Europe now, and they say that Germany is going to be completely Muslim in another, what, 20, 30 years because of how fast they're moving in. Uh, and, and that's actual blood, probably Ishmaelites, as well as converts. And in this country, we've had quite a few Muslims move in, and then you have people who are converting to Islam. Uh, most people in the prisons are converting And there are a lot of the black Muslims, a lot of black people in this country have converted into the the Islamic religion, uh, including our president. So it's it's increasing and growing all over the world, and I think they're going to be right smack in the middle of the contention. And it wouldn't surprise me at all that they're very strong leaders in the New World Order because of what's happening. The religion of the New World Order seems to be going to have to be a syncretism of the Asian religions, of the Islamic religion, and Christianity, because that religion will be a worldwide religion accepted by everyone. So they need a leader, uh, a religious leader, that would appeal to all of those, and that could be a Christ. Now, they all look to one because of Nimrod and Semiramis, uh, that there is a, a, a Christ figure coming. They all look for a Savior to come. And wouldn't it be interesting if it was a mix, say, like Obama, where he has a Muslim and Islamic religious background and then adopted Christianity for window dressing and uh, is part Hamitic, maybe part Semitic, and part Japhetic. So in a person like him could be blended together all of these things, 
And sometimes they put a, a bright star or a halo or something like that behind him when they show pictures of him. Like the star of Sirius, I couldn't help but think of that last night when we were talking about uh, what Washington, D.C. is. And now look at the leadership in Washington, D.C. as well. And, uh, and the guy acts like he's running for world president now, not like he's just... But he's helping destroy America uh, and all the countries, the Gentile countries around the world would applaud him for that. So he's setting himself up in a good position. Now, whether he'd be a religious leader or a, or a beast, a political leader, or whether he'd be any of those, I don't know. But uh, he certainly has that worldwide appeal. And if put under the right circumstances, either he or someone like him could very easily uh, slip into the uh, Messiah figure for the whole world. be interesting how it shapes out. And I'm not trying to predict that he's the guy. Uh, he's more of a political reader, leader than he is religious, and yet he does have that syncretism of Christian and Islamic religion. And the Eastern religions aren't too far removed in basic doctrines. They all got the immortality of soul and all that stuff. Uh, so, I'm inclined at this point to think that Ishmael is indeed basically the Arabic peoples and that they are going to be very prominent here in the end-time prophecies that are coming to pass and are very prominent right now. And they actually fit all these things. If you look at South America, there's quite a few people there, but they're, they're not particularly wealthy. South America has always been basically poor. Uh, except for the Aztecs and the Incas and, and who knows what these people have because there's a lot of natural resources in South America. But in terms of, end, of the end time, uh, the, from the time the Catholics got there, they plundered the wealth of South America. They took it back to uh, Europe and or the Aztecs and Incas, according to Ross, brought it right back up here and buried it. So that may turn up. But at any rate, South America has been basically in poverty since. Uh, until just recently, they're beginning to make some headway. But with Venezuela and the oil and Brazil and Argentina are coming a little back to life. But they've, they've had terrible depressions down there. And they're not anything on the world scene. They're just a brown people that are sitting in South America that don't really mean anything. So uh, I, I tend to think that Ishmael is uh, the Arabs, as we have always thought on that. Well, that's enough time for tonight and a good place to stop. Thank you. Ice cream bowls. <laughs>